This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Burn It All Down. It's the feminist sports podcast you need. During this COVID-19 pandemic, we at Burn It All Down are extending our love and solidarity with those who are on the front lines of every sector, those who cannot stay home, those working from home, those staying in, caretakers, parents, animal lovers, folks in every community, those providing support systems online and wherever you can, and also to those missing sports and feel isolated or trapped. We hope this show gives you something to think of, to laugh about, and well, burn. I'm Shireen Ahmed, freelance sports writer and sports activist in Toronto, leading the toxic femininity charge today. And on this, this week's panel, we have Jessica Luther, weightlifter extraordinaire, my fave PhD candidate slash croissant maker, and co-author of the forthcoming book, Loving Sports When They Don't Love You Back. She's in Austin. Dr. Brenda Elsie. New cat mom to the beautiful fur baby, Leo, undeniable genius and associate professor of history at Hofstra University in Long Island. And the indomitable and brilliant Lindsay Gibbs with the most beautiful laugh and the mightiest pen, freelance sports reporter and creator of the Power Plays newsletter. Sign up at powerplays.news. She's in DC. Before we start, I would like to thank our patrons for their generous support and to remind our new flamethrowers about our Patreon campaign. You pledge a certain amount monthly, as low as $2 and as high as you want, to become an official patron of the podcast. In exchange for your monthly contribution, you get access to special rewards. With the price of a latte a month, you can get access to extra segments of the podcast, a monthly vlog, an opportunity to record on the burn pile, only available to those in our Patreon community. So far, we've been able to solidify funding for proper editing and transcripts, our social media guru, Shelby, and our new producer, Kinsey. Burn It All Down is a labor of love, and we all believe in this podcast. We are so grateful for your support and that our flamethrowing family is growing. We have a kick-ass show for you this week. Lindsay interviews French fencer Yisra Tibu about how she and her boyfriend, U.S. fencer Race Imboden are coping in quarantine. Imboden's protest during last year's Pan Am Games when he took a knee on the podium and her fight for gender equality in fencing. But to start off, the NWHL draft. Lindsay, what are some thoughts? Yeah, well, first of all, I just, it was really cool to see how they pulled it off. So the NWHL is a little bit different. Um, because of the the way the league works and like the realities of being a pro women's hockey player right now, which is not 
giant salaries and, you know, phenomenal accommodations. Um, they kind of work with the players to make sure the players are willing to go and live in the cities that the teams want them to. So there's all the draft picks are selected beforehand and the players get a say in where they go. So the draft isn't something that's happening live as the public is seeing it. It's something that's happening. But the reveal, they've figured out how to make the draft reveal into an event. And this year they did it by hosting it on Twitter. And they had people from across the sports world, from, you know, John Bucigras and Sports Center to tons of WNBA players to, you know, NWSL players, just a lot of people from across the sports and especially the women's sports community announcing the draft picks on Twitter and unveiling it that way. And it was it was really amazing to see. Jess? Yeah, that's very cool. Like, I didn't understand all of that about the NWHL until right now, but I definitely saw so much about it happening on Twitter. And so, obviously, I don't follow hockey. Anyone who follows this podcast knows that. So I want to point everyone to a post at the Ice Garden SB Nation's women's hockey site. It's titled, This Quiz Will Tell You Which NWHL Team to Cheer For. (laughs) (laughs) So like if you're trying to figure it out, this was made for me. It's 10 questions. I did it. I got the Buffalo Buttes, by the way. Ah, Uh, So anyway, that's at Ice Garden. This quiz will tell you which NWHL team to cheer for. So if you're like me and you're just floating out there trying to figure it out, there's a direction. My only problem with this, and I, of course, I'm going to say this, is I was extremely disappointed. And I realize this is not a burn pile. It's like a kindling pile, maybe, that one of, like, very recently, the NWHL seems to be working a lot with uh, a Barstool podcast that was hosted by Erica Nardini. And that's not okay, because, I mean... Barstool, as everyone knows and has listened to this show, has been extremely, extremely problematic. And I mean, when Kelly Babstock was announced to go to the Toronto NWHL team, that was revealed on this podcast. So now there's all this thing about we're doing a deep dive into women's hockey. And I'm sorry, very recently, Erica Nardini didn't know anything about women's hockey. So suddenly that the stuff, it's just very problematic to me, like a place and a space that has attacked women specifically is now holding hands with the women's hockey league. I, I find that very uncomfortable and I don't like it. And it worries me. Women's sports can do just fine without collaborating with Barstool in any way. But I mean, just wanted from us to congratulate all the players uh, looking forward to a really cool season without collaborating with misogynistic, racist, homophobic outlets. But that's just me. Moving on, Jessica, can you take us through this next segment, please? Sure. So FIFPRO, the Global Players Union for Professional Footballers, it's put out two reports in the last few weeks about the state of women's football throughout the world. The first one in mid-April specifically looked at the impact of COVID-19 on the women's game. And FIFPRO doesn't mess around at all. I'm just going to quote an entire paragraph right now. So, quote, The current situation is likely to present an almost existential threat to the women's game if no specific considerations are given to protect the women's football industry due to its less established professional leagues, low salaries, narrow scope of opportunities, uneven sponsorship deals, and less corporate investment. The fragility of the women's 
football ecosystem is exposed by the current situation. The lack of written contracts, the short-term duration of employment contracts, the lack of health insurance and medical coverage, and the absence of basic worker protections and workers' rights leaves many female players, some of whom were already teetering on the margins, at great risk of losing their livelihoods. Okay. So then last week, FIFPRO published their report, Raising Our Game, about women's global soccer. They had planned this, and it actually got delayed because of COVID. They are going to put it out earlier this year, and then they realized, as everything was unfolding, that they needed to delay it a little bit. Um, FIFPRO characterizes this report as, quote, a forward-thinking report about women's professional football, which puts players at the heart of the planned development and rebuilding of the sport after the coronavirus pandemic. So they're looking at the economic evolution of the game, covering match day attendance, TV audiences, sponsorship, detail, the detail player conditions at club and national team levels. The whole thing is quotable. It's very long. It'd be impossible for me to recap the entire thing here. I'm just going to very quickly go over the key findings and recommendations that they had. There's four of them. So number one, women's football is proving its value. I feel like they listen to our podcast. So they say that while women's football has long been viewed as a cost to the industry, it's actually an asset of great value, and it can actually steer the industry in a positive and sustainable direction. I like that word, sustainable. Uh, number two is that the industry is growing. There's greater commercial interest in women's football, attendance-wise, viewership, sponsorship. Number three, professionalization is underway. More women's leagues and clubs at the domestic level are forming and professionalizing. Others are reforming. Elite competitions are taking new shape. And number four, global standards for player conditions are necessary. Quote, adverse labor conditions still plague the game. Action is needed to establish, implement, and enforce global industry standards for working conditions in women's football and both labor contracts and international competitions to protect the players and enable the just, decent, and stable growth of the industry. Okay, so that's a lot. And it's good. It's so good that we have FIFPRO out here ringing the alarm, especially at this critical moment. There's also the FAIR Network, an organization that combats inequality in football and for which our own Dr. Brenda Elsie works. Uh, They put out a report about the particular issues facing women's football in Latin America. In case you missed it, two weeks ago, Brenda interviewed Vanessa Cordoba in episode 155 about some of this. Also, I'll just say this before throwing it to Brenda, that we are all very proud to know and be associated with her and her work. Brenda, can you talk to us about what's going on with women's football in Latin America specifically? Oh, thank you. Yes. <laughs> first, first of all, <laughs> first off, everything that FIFPRO says is doubly true of Latin America, if not more so. So over the past five years, there's been pretty exciting progress. And you saw that at the Women's World Cup. Um, actually, and you saw that at the Women's World Cup in 2015 in Canada, too when you had Colombia. So there was a sense that in Latin America, the dynamic feminist movement had kind of re-energized new sectors and re-energized others to really rally behind women's football. So it became a kind of cause celeb in Argentina, for example. You know, the professionalization of the women's league and there was a lot of public pressure. So new leagues have started in Mexico, Colombia, Brazil, Ecuador, Argentina. And then attempts in Chile and Paraguay and Peru. So all of these are really exciting. And the Confederation had come in and said, hey, to compete in the club competition for the men, you have to have a women's club team. And that was really important. And of course, they're just going to give them their shitty shirts and say, we have a women's club team. But 
it created a rule where people could start to pressure those clubs, you know, to support really developing women's football. So there was a lot of progress and, but not enough for any of the cuts that have come so far to really actually save any money. So what the FIFA Pro report is, is great on a global level. At the regional level, what, what FAIR is noticing is patent gender discrimination, meaning the cuts that they're making are not only are they not equitable in terms of what they're doing with the men, but they're real misogyny because they're not going, these austerity measures are not going to save what they're saying they're going to save. They're not necessary. So I, I can give you a couple of examples of the ways in which it's done because I don't want to drone on and on. But for example... Well, let's take the Columbia situation. You have most of the teams have five players contracted only. So only five have professional contracts on, oh my God. on their team. And those contracts only last two months at a time because they only pay them for the tournaments at the beginning and the tournaments at the end or the season, whatever. I'm putting quote marks high into the air for season <laughs> if they can schedule enough real matches. And those contracts cost them um, about $200 per player per month. Okay. okay. I'm just, just going to let people do that math. It's nothing. Bogota is a very, is a very expensive city. So they basically told the women players, the Colombian league, um, Di Mayor, you are done. We're not renewing your contracts, but we'll keep the men who make hundreds of thousands of dollars into the millions of dollars a year. We'll keep them at 50%. Basically, if you kept the men at 49%, you would be <laughs> investing more in women's football than you ever have. Oh, my God. So it's not about austerity, really. This is about doing what you would have done anyway, which is try to annihilate women's football and put it under this sort of guise of it's a COVID problem. So it's just one thing. Jess, do you have a quick question? Yeah, I just just to be very clear, Brenda, like this is just straight up misogyny. Like they're just using are you like are they using COVID as just the cover for doing the thing they really want to do, which is yeah, cut women's soccer? That's absolutely what I would argue. Okay. Because because okay. it, I mean, I just ask anybody to do the math. There's no club, no team in South America where every player is under contract. So un, un, understand that. So, you, you know, but the players that are under contract, it could be the difference between, you know, whether they pay their rent or whether they eat or not for that month. And that's not true of the men's players. So no matter how little it is, it's still important to them. And that's the point that Vanessa Cordova in that episode was making. So anyway, I, I, I'm just going to, you know... I, I'm just going to leave it there. I guess the one silver lining, two new instances came out after the report came out at FAIR. One in the case of Ecuador, where basically clubs just decided we're not playing in the tournament. And that's how they do it. There's all these ways in which this is done, right? They say, well, we're just not going to participate in it. And then the second one is the Argentine Federation, who said, yeah, no, we're just not going to continue subsidizing contracts. When they said that, they were subsidizing the clubs because the clubs would refuse to do it. When they said that the backlash was so strong that actually the president um, of the federation backpedaled and said, actually, we are. So the one silver lining seems to be that they really are subject to public scrutiny and pressure and, and they really do move when it happens. Next up... 
Lindsay's interview with French fencer Yisra Tibou. Hi, friends. Lindsay here. I am so excited to be joined by Yisra Tibou. She is a two-time Olympian in fencing. She's been at the London Olympics and the Rio Olympics, and we will see her at the 2021 Tokyo Olympics. She is a 14-time French champion. She has won multiple team and individual medals in world championships, including an individual silver in 2018. Thank you so much for being here. So I guess the most most obvious place to start, normally, if we were not in this bizarro world, you'd be gearing up for Tokyo. But of course, that has been postponed a year. So where are you right now? Are you quarantined? And how has the, the coronavirus and the move of the Olympics impacted you? So I, I am usually training in between Italy, Paris, and Los Angeles. So I knew already that in Italy, it was a quarantine for a while. Paris started to be quarantined. And so I was like, I'm going to stay in LA because my boyfriend is American. So a lot of people here in the United States, although we, we have listeners all over the world, but know your boyfriend, Ray <laughs> Imbedim, who took a knee when he was on the podium at the Pan Am Games last year. He is a fencer as well, representing the United States. Um, we also had uh, Gwen Berry, who raised her fist at those same Pan Am Games. She has been on Burn It All Down before. I'll link her episode in the show notes below. But I wanted to ask you about that because obviously that moment got so much coverage. Were you aware that he was going to be taking a knee? Had you you had conversations with him prior to that? Actually, he didn't tell me like uh, before the competition, I'm going to do that. He was actually focused on the competition and he, 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 they won in team. And I know that it happened like just right before they go for the medal ceremony. He asked the guy if it was okay for them. And then I was like, okay, he did it. So I was not like, <laughs> actually, I was, I was not shocked. I was not like surprised that he did it because I know him, but I was like, oh, he actually did it. And, and for sure we didn't expect all these, uh, these things after that, like, like all the media and everything. So it kind of like, uh, and I was not there because for, for um, I'm for friends, so I was not at the Pan Am game. So my first reaction was like, oh, I wish I, I could be with him going through this because it was tough. He had like hate messages and also like a lot of positive messages, but it was like really extreme uh, in both ways and really intense. But he, I was proud of him. The main feeling was like I was proud of him. Yeah, I think that it was so inspiring to see during this time, you know, to see athletes literally use their literally their platform <laughs> to uh, to send a a message. You said that you were surprised by the amount of attention. Was there anything in particular about the attention that he received from that or the media or the social media that surprised you or that stuck out to you? For sure, the, the social media, I mean, Twitter was more worth because I feel like it's always the platform that everyone can say everything they want to say. But also, <laughs> also uh, on Instagram, it's like, like more actually like people wanted to, to follow him and like support him and be like, Oh, thank you so much for what you just done. Like give us, give us a voice. And like he's been touched by a lot of, a lot of messages and people were really grateful. So that was like, oh my God, amazing. And like realizing that people really need to be, uh, listened also is hacked as consequence 
since because uh, Olympic Committee said that it would be um, in probation for a year. So like if he did it again, he would not be allowed to go to the next Olympic Games. Um, so it was kind of a stressful situation because, uh, I mean, it's our, our life, fencing and going to competition and going to the Olympic Games. So being in probation was difficult uh, Was difficult for him because he didn't understand why there was such a positive message and why it was it was it was been it been seen like that by the by the Olympic Committee, you know. Yeah, I agree with him there. And then, of course, the IOC came out, and earlier this year they said that whenever this next Olympics will be, that you know there there won't be a you know political protest or being banned. What did you think of that decision? I think we felt like we felt a little bit like anger toward that because. At the same time, you know, they were like uh, saying for Tommy Smith and, and John Carlos, like when they raised their fees, like they were saying, oh, you're going to be, I mean, they were saying like it was a, a positive thing to do two time. And at the same time, they said like, oh, but you cannot do it again. So it was like, it was like kind of hypocrite for us to go through this decision. And it's frustrating because we're not just athletes. We want to say like how we feel about the world and, and, and some things are going wrong. We're just not like... Um, I don't know, just like there to entertain people. We go to challenges and like we see the world, we travel a lot and we see like when things are not going in the right way. So that was just like really frustrating in that sense. And we felt like, uh, yeah, we didn't have the choice. They were taking away our, I don't know, like our abilities to, to take uh, to take decisions and like to use our voice. So it's it's frustrating. Absolutely. I can't even imagine how hard that must be. Now, of course, for for you, have you, what message do you want to send politically? What do you hope to use your platform to say, whether that be on the stand or through social media or just in general? What message do you want to send? I want to speak up about like, like, yeah, um, equalities, uh, gender equalities and like, women and men in the same field, you know, they should be treated the same way for the same amount of, of work. And um, we're working out as female athletes, you know, and I think we deserve the same uh, recognition and the same respect. So this is what I'm really trying to talk about. What is, and I'm actually pretty ignorant on this subject. So what, what is the state of gender equality in the fencing community? Do you still see biases there within your own sport? You know, so it's not like a, a sport that we see often in media or it's not like in the light a lot of times. So for that reason, for men and women, it's actually not pretty good. Um, <laughs> they just <laughs> ignore everybody. Yeah, it's fine. But I would say inside the sport, you know, it's the same than every every other sport. Like people think that like uh, women fencers are less less fast, less entertaining, and that uh, they are just considered as less, you know. For example, we're going to be at practice and all the attention is for the men, which is okay. It's not like we need attention. It's not about that. It's just like... So it's, there's going to be about, so in fencing, you have two people fencing and you have a referee 
And you're gonna, girls gonna watch because we don't have something to do, for example. And we're gonna be like, oh, I think uh, the attack is from the right for this guy, you know? And they're gonna look at us and we'll be like, oh, but you're a woman, how do you know? Or things like that, you know? So it's just like the daily thing sometimes. I feel like women's athletes are still considered as less than men. Also, you see less women in federations. Our federations, there, there are not a lot of uh, women and worldwide. It's like, of course, you consider more the, the men like, uh, like than, than women. It's more like the same thing. You know, it's more prestigious to win as a man than to win as a woman. I think there are a lot of work to do about that. And it's also, I'm, I'm not talking just for fencing. I'm talking uh, for every sport. And I think that sports is like kind of uh, the reflection of the society, you know. And yeah, if you don't see a lot of women in in sports, it's, it means that in society you don't see a lot of women. It's the same for everything. And I'm, I'm just really, I feel really mad when things are like, are like that, you know, for the, the U.S. soccer team, when they ask for the same money as men, why they were like, world champion and like they said no it's just like oh, how can you still use the same old argument to justify that you don't want to pay men and women the same when we actually prove that we can make results we can be we can we can be performant and we can be the best you know in france like the french federation for example has organized two world cups every weapons and it's like two male walk-ups and we have one woman walk-ups in France and they put no money in that and because they think they said that no one's coming but no one's coming because no one is investing the money too and giving us the chance to prove that we can uh, also attract people because actually we won this competition the last season and I've made at this competition a bunch of time. So we proved as a team that we can perform and I don't know it's the same thing Financially, in the media, we don't have the same attention. Financially, they don't invest the same in men and in women. So I think that that, that creates inequality and, and problems in general. So you're saying you're, there's not equal pay within fencing from the federations? It's complicated to say that in fencing because it's not we're not a professional sport, so we don't have salary anyways in France. So we li- I'm living off my sponsors. And so I'm the, the best female fencers in France. So I have sponsors, but they don't give a salary. But I feel like for the competition, for example, or events, they don't even invest the same way in male fencers than in female fencers. And the international federation just is the same. Yeah. It's the same story, right? And across so many sports and it's so frustrating. I guess I kind of want to end where I guess probably most people would have begun the interview, but how did you get into fencing? It just seems uh, I'd love to know how you've you've came to to participate in the sport and thrive in the sport. So I'm from a, I'm from a small island, a French in the French Caribbean called um, Guadeloupe, and I started fencing. I was seven years old. I I actually didn't didn't think of the sport. I was doing a classic dance ballet. And so I was happy doing that since I was four years old. And my mom thought about the sport for my little brother. And it happened that I was there with them the first time they, they went to the fencing uh, gym. And 
I remember going inside the gym and be like, oh my God, what is this sport? <laughs> I've never seen something like that before because, you know, I, I was not watching the Olympics on TV. I was not like, and fencing is not on TV. So I was like, uh, what is that? And I loved it. And I was like, I need to try this sport. And I, we started with my little brother at the same time and I loved it and it just like didn't like it. So it was like turning <laughs> a few times. And for me, it was just, <laughs> I love the sport. I love the competition. I and I'm just doing that since then. What do you love so much about it? So I was doing classic dance and I felt like everything was a choreography and you have to do things. While in fencing, I felt like I was free and the only goal was actually to touch your opponents, but the rest, you just do your own choreography all the time. You just uh, make it how you want it to look like. I think I kept the aesthetic of dancing in my in my fencing. I like my fencing to look good, but at the same time I feel free. You know, you can you fighting, you can you can be loud, you can shout, you can you have fun. You know, and I think it um, changes as I grew up in my career, of course. But it's a game, and the main thing about fencing like it's a game, and it's like playing chess and at the same time biking <laughs> so it's like a <laughs> mental game and a physical game at the same time you don't put your brain on the side you always use your brain and at the same time it's super difficult because it's three times three minutes and so it's really really intense i just love everything about this sport <laughs> That's awesome. Well, we hope that we will be able to get to see you compete sooner rather than later. Thank you so much for joining us on Burn It All Down and take care. On to the burn pile. Brenda, can you go first? Sure. I want to burn, this is very on brand for me, capitalist pigs. And (laughs) I'm going to start... With John J. Fisher, <laughs> it's a roast. who is the majority owner of the Oakland A's. And people might not know John J. Fisher. And of course, I'm burning John J. Fisher metaphorically. And of course, he is not a pig, literally. And so he, the Oakland A's were the very last team in Major League Baseball to commit to paying full-time employees through the end of May. And they announced this the day before May started, which was the very last day that they could. So way to do the least. I don't know that a person like John J. Fisher, who is the son of the founders of Gap, longstanding Republican donor, (laughs) who is worth $2.4 billion, would possibly understand what it's like to wait to hear if you're employed next month or not. I imagine he has absolutely no fucking clue. And so anyway, uh, he also owns the MLS team, the San Jose Earthquakes, and Scotland's um, the Glasgow Celtics. So he has his hands in sports, and that grosses me out in general. But uh, I looked up his philanthropic positions, which are like zero. His biggest donations go to charter schools. I, after doing this research, will not be purchasing any more clothing at The Gap or Banana Republic or anything else, um, barf. And I want to burn his petty, 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 pettiness 
at not telling employees and not giving them months of security when he was born into incredible wealth and privilege and is worth $2.4 billion. Burn. 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 Lindsay? Yeah, so a couple weeks ago, Roger Federer um, tweeted out of the blue, just wondering, dot, 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 dot. Uh-oh. Am I the only one thinking that now is a time for men's and women's tennis to be united and come together as one? In subsequent <laughs> tweets, he added, he was picturing a merger between the WTA and ATP, not on the court, of course, but a merger between the two governing bodies. He noted that it is the two separate tours are too confusing for the fans and that the move is long overdue and said, these are tough times in every sport and we can come out of this with two weakened bodies or one stronger body. To add to this, Rafa Nadal, who has not historically <laughs> been a champion of women's tennis, <laughs> <laughs> tweeted, hey, at Roger Federer, as you know, per our discussions, I completely agree that it would be great to get out of this world crisis with the union of men's and women's tennis in one only organization. Thumbs up emoji, tennis racket emoji. In general, I am a big fan of labor solidarity and have always thought that if tennis and men's and women's tennis united as one and did it properly, the sport could be much better overall. It could have a much, it could help everyone. But what I have a problem with and what I'd like to burn is men out of nowhere during this time of crisis being the ones leading this discussion. The men's tour is, should not be the leaders of this discussion because historically they have fought against the women's tour getting anything near equality at every single turn. I want to give a shout out to Reem Abelel, who's a great reporter we've had on Burn It All Down, who did some reporting on squash and the merger between squash. And she found out that when men's and women's squash united, that it did make more money for everyone. Everyone got more mm -hmm. money. But the men were still mad because in order to bring <laughs> the women up to equality, they got more of the more than the men did. So even though the men still ended up with more... <laughs> because of the merger. They were upset because the women got more. And Annie Murray went on CNN this week and said the same thing is happening in men's tennis. He said, when there's been prize money increases in the sport, where let's say the first round's loser's check has gone from 8,000 to 10,000, and the women went from 6,000 to 10,000, um, the men were unhappy. And I would tell them, would you rather there was no increase at all? And they would say to me, yes, actually. So I would like to throw on the incinerator fragile male egos, which are holding everyone back. And this desire to be to you will be worse off yourself as long as you are still better off than someone else. It is fucking bonkers. And it is it, you see it across society. So I, Roger Federer and Rafael Nadal should not be leading this conversation. They should be standing beside the WTA, amplifying their voices and moving together as one. And the WTA should not do this unless there are protections up and down that damn contract. So let's throw fragile male egos on the incinerator. Burn. 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 I'm going to go next. And I just want to offer a trigger warning for anybody listening. Um, the, my burn pile 
is about sexualized violence against football players in Haiti. I do really want to commend this exclusive by for Guardian Football by Ed Ahrens, Romain Molina, and Alex Chismich. And they've spent a lot of time on this. And it, the story is quite disturbing. And we've talked about sexualized violence on the show before in football. And what this is, is that there's claims of abuse by Yves Jambard, who is Haiti's FA president. So the governing body of football in Haiti, the accusations are against him. And it's this we'll link the article to the show notes. Of course, he's denied everything. And Yves Jambard is known as Dadou. He is the president of Fédération Haitienne de Football. And since 2000, so 20 years. So the accusations involve that he coerced several players at the Centre Technique National in Croix-de-Bouquet. Croix-de-Bouquet is outside Port-au-Prince in, in, in Haiti. And he is alleged, alleged incidents have taken place for the last five years, including impregnating one of the players and forcing her to have an abortion. He coerces them into like just performing sex acts. It's really really upsetting and the power structure here the dynamic is so dangerous and there's what he does is he uses a woman to put pressure on the girls so if he finds someone attractive he'll send that woman to say if you don't do this you'll be thrown out of the center you're done with football so it's it was really it's a very harrowing read it's very difficult to get through especially if you look at a place like Haiti that's still it's there's money there there's a lot of money there and that's not reflected in the center wherein these young players are staying. There's only air conditioning, not even yet in one particular place. There was structures is, is they're living like in what some would identify or describe as squalor. Whereas like there's, they have live on, live on the same menu of rice and beans and, and, and chicken every day. Whereas the executives of, you know, Hades FA have like large dinner parties and it's just, it's really disgusting. And they're waiting for FIFA to come in. There was a FIFA observer to come in who didn't see anything wrong. Of course not because the bar is so low. Right. So, as in everything, we stand in solidarity with these players. We believe survivors. And it's, you know, just it's so upsetting. And it's not the first time we've seen this type of abuse. It's not the last time we're going to see it. And it's I want to take that all and throw it on the burn pile. Burn. burn. Jess? Yeah, so this week I want to burn how slow institutions are at dealing with major issues that deeply affect the day-to-day lives of young athletes. So this week, USA Gymnastics suspended coach Maggie Haney for eight years for verbal abuse and mistreatment of athletes. Lori Hernandez, the gold-winning Lori Hernandez, her mother first filed a complaint against Haney to USAG nearly four years ago. So while the outcome is good, four years went by. The NCAA also had two longstanding issues come to the fore this week. The NCAA looks like they're going to loosen their requirements around name, image, and likeness for collegiate athletes. We'll see. I wouldn't hold my breath on it. But even if that is what's going to happen, Jay Billis, he had a tweet this week that really got to the heart of how I'm feeling about a lot of things in sport right now. Quote, a committee was formed six months ago. It finally has, quote, recommendations. Now, several months of review, governments pass laws faster than the NCAA makes suggestions. Ridiculous. Let the athletes have full economic rights just like everyone else. And then late on Friday, I mean late on Friday, the NCAA announced that it was going to expand its sexual violence policy. It's fine. 
It puts the burden on students to disclose and the punishment for not doing so falls squarely on the student's shoulders only. There are some things schools must do, but there's no indication what what happens if they don't do it, similar to the previous policy in place. This announcement came a day after seven women sued the NCAA for failing to protect them from sexual assault by male athletes. The lawsuit accuses the organization of negligence, fraud, and breach of contract. I've been reporting on the NCAA's lack of care around gendered violence since 2014. My book on college football and sexual violence is now three and a half years old. And what we've got is another way for schools to brush off responsibility to students and no teeth when it comes to what athletic departments have to do. All of that together has me wanting to burn just how damn long it takes for these organizations to even kind of move in the right direction. So burn. Burn. And after all that burning, we will uplift some amazing people this week. First of all, rest in power to Annabelle Penafeather, a leader in sports in Singapore. She was a member of the national field hockey team from 1964 to 1980, which she captained for over a decade. She then moved into sports administration, holding high-level positions, including as Singapore's first female chef de mission serving at the Commonwealth Games in 2002 and the Olympic Games in 2004. She was also Singapore Hockey Federation's first female president from 2004 to 2012. She's back. Sabrina Ionescu is once again in the Badass Woman of the Week segment, this time because she was a co-winner of the James E. Sullivan Award, which goes to the United States' most outstanding amateur athlete. She's the first ever Oregon player to win the award and only the fifth women's basketball player ever. Maddie Prespakis, a teenage Aussie Rules football sensation won the AFL's Best and Fairest Award, which goes to the league's most dominant player. She's the first ever teenager to win this award, and she was also named an on-baller in the All-Australian team. Congrats to you. Can I get a drum roll, please? Congratulations. I was just going to let you all go on for a little while there. Congratulations to Sammy Davis for being selected number one overall in the NWHL draft. The Boston University alum was picked by the Boston Pride. What's good? Jessica. Oh, gosh. I don't know. It's a harder week this week, but still, I've been reading Courtney Milan. Uh, she's a romance author, and she has a series. It's it's a little bit old. It's the Turner series. It's these three brothers, last name Turner. The middle book is a, a hero who's a virgin, and which is pretty rare in romance. It's called Unclaimed, and it is beautiful and wonderful, and it made me cry in the best way at the end. And so I highly recommend that. That was very good for me this week. I participated in a panel earlier this week about women's sports for the UT Sports Communication. I can never remember the right title. It's on YouTube now. Shelby, our graphics person at the last minute, did me a solid and <laughs> created a cool burn it all down graphic to go behind me as I was talking. And then bless Aaron, he was like in the middle of work and my computer did not, wouldn't let me do the Zoom background. And he scrambled to let, so I could use his computer to do it. Um, that's why you see his name on there. And so he had to use my computer to do a Zoom meeting while I was doing that. But he came through for me. And that was just really fun. It was fun to like, I washed my hair and put on makeup, <laughs> which has been a while. So that was 
nice. And then I just want to give a little shout out to Ralph because he is the best dog ever. He's so adorable. I'm just really enjoying his snuggles. His hair is super long right now. He's the shaggy dog. He needs a haircut. We're trying to figure that out. But Ralph is just the best. Amazing. Bren? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I'm usually, when I get called on, I'm usually thinking about what the other person just said still. My quarantine brain is slow. It's like um, a lag, yeah, for me. Yeah, yeah. Ex- exactly. So I'm like laughing. And then I started laughing at the fact that I do that every time. And I'm like, I'm sorry, Shereen. I should have a more elegant you know, intro, but um, really, so we we uh, got adopted a two-year-old rescue cat, as Shireen mentioned in the beginning, originally was named Fluffy Muffin, and then spontaneously, I, I swear, te lo juro, I swear, over two days, my children decided it was a better named as Messi, um, uh, Leo. So I know, I know. I I promise you it wasn't me. But it's super gentle and he's really happy. Just years, years of conditioning. (laughs) I mean, come on. Like it is you. Yeah. (laughs) They didn't didn't come up with Leo out of nowhere, but I see what you're saying. Go ahead. Sorry. I mean, I would like to think it's not my total brainwash job and it's like Leo the lion or something, but good. I mean, fair point. Like I really can't argue with that. But either way, I'm happy that that they're happy and that the cat is happy and super gentle. And yeah, so that's been wonderful. I've spent hours and hours petting the cat and trying to strategize how to make his room. He will get an entire room, little room dedicated to him, but I'm trying to figure out how to make it like the best place. Do you, do you think that we should all send our pets photos to you and you can like, you know, his fur cousins? I'd like them to have a zoom meeting. Um, okay. oh, if we could get Ralph. We're doing it now. We're doing it now. Oh, yay. <laughs> we could get like Ralph and Mo and Tata and they could all get together and sort of just take a look at each other, you know. And Scooby. And, and Amira, Amira's Scooby yes, for sure. Scooby. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Linz. Yeah. Also a tough week, I think, to come up with things. It's just like, I don't know. Honestly, mentally, it helped when it moved from April to May because April just like I got to the point where I was like, April's not really happening. <laughs> like yeah, April doesn't yeah, exist. Yeah. It really felt like it didn't exist. So now May, it's like, okay, I can, I, I need to make May like worth it. Like I'm feeling reengaged with work. I'm feeling, you know, a little bit motivated uh, on things. So that's good. I dyed my hair blue, which feels like a very cliche quarantine thing to do. But you know that's what? Right. Whatever. What else am I going to do? <laughs> like, I've made three What's banana bread loaves, so we're all, <laughs> we're like, all doing the things that we're all the cliches. <laughs> I did go on, I've been, you know, I didn't really want to do much delivery. I really tried not to order things, but this week I did get in a little like treat myself mode because I was having trouble sleeping. So I like bought new sheets and a new mattress pad and a like oh, little, nice. little self massager. I bought a Kindle. I treated myself to a Kindle. I've always just used the yes. Kindle app. So I'm, I love the Kindle. So it's I'm very favorite. excited about that. Yay. So you know what? It felt good. I, you know, I, I know we should be not buying things, but it felt good. It it felt good to get a box full of cool things (laughs) that make my life better. (laughs) Awesome. I'm going to go just, it's the month of Ramadan for our listeners that don't know. And I've been fasting. It's going really well. I've been doing some online iftars, which is when you break the fast. Um, 
I'm not having caffeine withdrawal like I thought, but I need to stop drinking coffee when we break our fast, which is like 8.30, because then I'm up to like 2, which happened oh, yeah. last night, which which can also like lead to great conversations with Amira at 4 a.m., which is what happened this morning. But still, I, I need to stop. I um, have started growing plants, I think it's called. Like, I have plants. Um, I have a basil. <laughs> and like, I... What else would it be called? So my, like, I, I'm just, I overwater chronically and I, I'm not successful. I mean, I raise children and a cat so everybody can relax, like, but I'm not good. I have a black thumb, but I'm really hopeful for this basil. I know it needs a lot of water. If y'all want to send me tips that I'm totally open. I did actually go to the, it was at the grocery store for my weekly run and I got lavender because I got very excited. I'm not thinking that I'm going to start making soap or anything. I just really like lavender and I miss I miss, oh my God, I feel like I'm going to cry. I miss soccer so much and I miss the smell of grass. I miss the smell of fresh cut grass with a mixture of like skunk and weed wafting in the in the background of like the soccer pitches I play on. And, oh, I was going to cry there. But I feel like when I smell these things, like they make it easier for me, especially when I spend so much time indoors. So I, there's that. Um, I also want to wish everyone a belated May Day. And thank you to Aaron Lakoff of The Rebel Beat. He's a friend of the show. He had me on an absolutely kick-ass episode where my song selection was Immortal Technique. And we don't just respect and stand in solidarity with workers on the 1st of May. We're always in solidarity with you. And just wanted to say that. And that's about it. So, And Eid is coming up. So if you need to do some Eid shopping... Subscriptions to PowerPlays and Burn It All Down Patreon are always excellent gifts to big give people. Oh. So I just wanted to remind everybody of that. Thanks, Shereen. That's it this week for Burn It All Down. Although we are done for now, you can always burn all day and night with our fabulous array of merchandise, including mugs, pillows, tees, hoodies, bags. What better way to crush toxic patriarchy in sports and sports media? But by getting someone you love a pillow with our logo on it. Our store is teespring.com slash stores slash burn it all down. Burn it all down lives on SoundCloud, but can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, and TuneIn. We appreciate your reviews and feedback, so please subscribe and write and let us know what we did well and how we can improve. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at burn it all down pod and on Twitter at burn it down pod. And you can email us at burnitalldownpod at gmail.com and check out our website, www.burnitalldownpod.com, where you will find previous episodes, transcripts, and a link to our Patreon. We would appreciate you subscribing, sharing, and rating our show, which helps us do the work we love to do and keep burning needs to be burned. We wish you safety and health and whatever joys you can muster during this chaotic and unprecedented time. And as Brenda says, burn on and not out.